Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, podcast? It's Corey from Best Served. This podcast is a clubhouse recording called Virtual and Ghost Kitchens, Breaking Down the Cost. In part three of three of our series on developing your ghost kitchen concept, we break down the numbers. Hope you enjoy. So welcome. Welcome to Virtual and Ghost Kitchen How To. Uh, we're talking about breaking down the cost. This is part three of a series. Sean P. Walshef of Cali Barbecue Medica, who's going to introduce himself in a little bit. Kyle and Sarah from the National Restaurant Owners Podcast and I got together and said, let's talk about something that's uh, top of mind, bring some value, start some banter, be able to hopefully allow some people to kind of level up. So talking about virtual ghost kitchens is something that we're familiar with and that are emerging. So we're going to be digging into that topic. Just in a moment here, I'm going to let the panelists uh, introduce themselves quickly so you know who you'll be hearing from. And the topics we're really going to focus on is, again, we're going to break down a lot of the costs because it's it's very different than a restaurant. Though. So there's similarities and differences. We want to break those down so you know what you're potentially getting yourself into if you're looking at a virtual and ghost kitchen. I'm going to give you some a few little definitions so you know kind of some of the lingo and jargon that's happening here. And then we're very much going to talk about a lot of the startup costs to know if this is the right fit for you, your concept, if you're in a growth of an existing brand, if you're looking to test out uh, new brands, if you're looking to start your own business for the first time or whatever that might be. So we're going to talk about investment and key money. We're going to talk about the differences in price per square foot, something that's a focal point when you're looking at lease negotiations. We're going to talk about cam charges, culinary maintenance, how that feeds into uh, the model of virtual kitchens. We'll talk tech. We'll talk equipment costs and the versatility that may be needed in this type of atmosphere. Uh, for a ghost kitchen, we're going to talk about third-party fees, last-mile delivery solutions, and we'll talk about marketing as well, as that's a very different beast than we're used to in the restaurant industry. So those will be the elements that we break down in this conversation, and uh, I'll, I'll touch on the topic a little bit more, but I want to go around and have them introduce their selves. Uh, Sean, let's start with you. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Thanks, Jensen. Uh, my name is Sean. I own Cali Barbecue Media. We are a barbecue brand and a media brand in San Diego. Uh, we owned a single unit barbecue restaurant for the last 13 years. Uh, during the pandemic, we opened our first ghost kitchen location in downtown San Diego. So about 15 minutes from um, our main location, we are in the process of repurposing a 250 square or 250 seat full service restaurant and sports bar into a master smokehouse media center. And that is the plan to service an additional nine. So we hope to have 10 ghost kitchen locations throughout San Diego County. San Diego County has 3 million people. Uh, we never wanted to open up another full service barbecue restaurant and sports bar because the economics didn't make sense. So now that there's ghost kitchens, virtual kitchens, and what we like to call friendly ghost kitchen opportunities, um, we are very much excited about expand, expanding our brand, expanding our footprint, being the Amazon Prime of barbecue in San Diego, um, and using technology to our advantage and sharing the story of 
who we are and what we do on social media and on digital media. So I'm excited for today's conversation. Thanks. Like the Amazon Prime, it's like, uh, you remember how it was be the Google of your industry? And I think that just meant you should have bouncy chairs and ping pong foosball tables. I think it means something different now. And I think just the idea of, of navigating into digital, you know, in an industry built on your hands, human labor and, and product that is tangible, I think is a, is a challenge. And so I appreciate that. Uh, Andrew, go ahead and introduce yourself. Awesome. Thanks, Jensen. My name is Andrew Parr. I am the Chief Howe Officer working with Jensen at Best Served Creative. And uh, every time the team comes up with an idea, then uh, I get to work with everyone on figuring out how to make it work. And so that's uh, what I'm doing. And I'm here in Denver, Colorado. Yeah, Andrew has a very important and challenging role. Take all the crazy shit that comes out of my mouth, out of my head, and try and put it into action. So... Uh, literally could not do any of what we do, including the time I get to spend with you all on Clubhouse would not happen if Andrew and Sophie and Corey, Etsy, McKenzie and everybody wasn't so strong on their how game. Um, very much a why guy. So I appreciate that tremendously. Uh, Kyle, so you jumped in. Kyle and Sarah, the one and only. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Good to see you, brother. Hey, guys. Sorry, I was a little bit late. Um, yeah, my name is Kyle and Sarah. I've been in the hospitality restaurant business for over 20 years um, as an owner operator uh, for the last, I don't even know, 12 to 15, I think it is. Uh, recently exited my last restaurant and now I work as a advisor on the real estate end for emerging restaurant brands across the country, helping them um, build out their platform, build out their concepts. Awesome. And I already mentioned National Restaurant Owners Podcast. Definitely check that out for sure. Uh, and, uh, dude, I was all over TikTok today doing some collabs for Pride oh, Month, man. and I was thinking of you. I was, oh, I went the other way. You're an entertaining character on TikTok. <laughs> I was my best of being a deadpan news journalist, uh, reading the news, uh, with a collab with Under the Desk News. And, uh, so I was channeling a little bit of you being like, I got yeah. a TikTok game. So nice. appreciate the challenge you set forth for all of us <laughs> chefs. I love it. On that digital side. So thanks for that. Uh, James, Jim Baxter, go ahead and introduce yourself. You go ahead and hit that uh, mute button, that microphone button in the bottom right corner. Unmute yourself and go ahead and tell us a little about yourself, Jim. No, maybe we'll come back to you, Jim. Got to hit that, that microphone button. It can be tricky. Uh, all right, Andre, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, there you go. Go ahead and jump in, Andre. Yes, we can hear you now. Okay. I disconnected. Go, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Jensen. Uh, my name is Andre Dorsey, and I am on board with Chef Freddy in Denver, Colorado. My brand is Dorsey's Catering, Gourmet Hot Dogs, Chicken, and Burritos. Burritos. This is my first time stepping out in a virtual kitchen, and so far, so good. Appreciate that, Andre. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get some uh, questions from you. I appreciate you being here, and you're always uh, an open book. It's been great for Andrew and, and I and our team to be able to interact with you. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, I know you had some challenging financial questions, and I think we all do. 
this this industry is so incredibly challenging and now we're venturing into kind of a new forum with virtual ghost kitchens and there's a lot of things we know about food beverage hospitality in this industry there's a lot of shit we don't know and so we're trying to unpack that and balance that out and create the best opportunity for success because we know so many of the systems that that we bought into that we built ourselves have been exposed as vulnerable or completely broken and so it's time to do something different uh jim i want to try and come to you uh, if you're able to get your microphone unmuted bottom right corner uh of your screen there if you're able to i want to let you introduce yourself otherwise we'll, we'll keep moving and figure out the robots later you able to jump in here jim we love these robots can't trust these robots we'll keep rolling all right so I mentioned some of the topics that the areas that we're going to be discussing, but really we're going to be breaking down the numbers. The numbers can be so incredibly challenging and frustrating, especially again, uh, being chefs and in industry where we're built on face-to-face -face interaction. We're, we're, we're creating something with our hands. The feedback loop closes very quickly for us where we have an idea, we create a product, we feed somebody with that product and we get that, we get that dopamine hit really quickly. The numbers are so abstract so theoretical, so hard to understand. So we're going to dig into that. And uh, Andrew, especially, is going to help us a lot with that. He is absolutely our ops and uh, a numbers guru with what we do, working on a lot of financial modeling to shift, again, the model of what, uh, what it means to be a part of food and beverage. So want to specifically, we're going to be talking about a certain style of ghost kitchen and uh please do go check out best served podcast if you want to go back and hear part one or where we just kind of broke down what the hell a ghost kitchen is all about part two uh we talked about like end-to-end -end hospitality we really talked a lot about uh the different styles of kitchens so you can talk hear that on those other episodes where right? we have the restaurant kitchen the multi-concept kitchen the multi-stall kitchen the satellite kitchen and the virtual food hall or the different styles um, that are kind of categories. We're going to be talking about the virtual food hall. It's, it's what Chef Ready is that uh, Best Served has worked with as a client. It's what uh, Andre is a part of. And also that virtual food hall style is what Sean and Kelly Barbecue are a part of. And that's really a, a landlord-owned facility with multiple independent secure kitchens so that you have your own space, your own kitchen, your own whatever it might be, 200, 300 square foot space. Uh, with the hoods and the equipment as as your concept, your brand sees fit. You're probably renting that for uh, six months, nine months, a year, two years, three years. So not uh, maybe a traditional 10-year lease on those. And it's delivery and carry-out only. No bar, no dining room, right? So you either have third-party drivers, last-mile drivers. You have uh, customers walking into your kind of reception area and picking up food. So just to kind of break down what to expect. So I want to kick it over to Andrew to help us break down some of these numbers. We're going to start again with kind of key money, investment money, right? We know how unbelievably expensive it is to, to get into a restaurant. That barrier of entry is so high, 250,000, 500,000, a million, 1.2, 1.5 million. $4 million restaurants, depending on your market, depending on what you're looking to do. So wanted to kind of understand the numbers kind of at a high level. And, uh, and then we'll dig into some details and we'll move around the room and get some input and feedback from, from everybody here. And uh, we will open up hand raising later on. So if you do have a question on anything, please scribble that down. And uh, later on, I will prompt you to uh, raise your hand and uh, get a couple people up on stage, maybe ask some very specific 
ask your question. And uh, Andrew, go ahead and uh, set the table for us a little bit. Awesome. I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the conversation starts in a couple of different places. And when you're talking about key money, obviously comparing a new build or a second generation to a virtual or a ghost kitchen, um, that's where a huge amount of the, the differential in the money is going to come from, right? Like if, let, let's say you're, you're going with a 2,500 square foot uh, restaurant for a new build and, and maybe you're fortunate and your cost per square foot to build out is $200 a square foot, you're, you're already at a half a million dollars. And with a virtual or a ghost kitchen, those expenses don't exist. Those fall on the landlord or, or your kitchen host who, who is building out the space for you. And then you look at furniture fixture and equipment and, you know, liquor license attorney and fees, other attorney fees. Um, and, and the numbers get really, really daunting. And like Jensen said, you could be at a half a million, one million, three million to build out your brick and mortar and, you know, time is a huge factor too. You could be looking at, you know, a six month, a nine month, an 18 month, a two year build to get where you want, depending upon what your location is, what permitting is like, how quickly the city moves. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's really the biggest differential up front. And then something else to really kind of take note of too, is that it's, it's pretty typical when you're looking at rent to try to understand what your price per square foot is. And of course, we advocate uh, much more in terms of understanding what percentage of revenue you're going to pay for rent and, and how to make that affordable and getting away from the standard, oh, you know, 10% of your revenue is, is industry standard. I mean, industry standard is garbage. We need to crumple it up, throw it away and move away from that. But price per square foot is something that was always a big deal in the conversation. And the reality is, is that with a virtual or ghost kitchen, you can't look at price per square foot because if that's going to be a determining factor for you, you'll never investigate this as an opportunity because you just can't look at it the same way that we always have. And so, you know, upfront for key money, those are really some of the biggest factors that we're looking at. Yeah, I want to get into that price per square foot here a little bit. Definitely want to bring uh, Kyle into that piece of the conversation as now really understanding the uh, the real estate side of things. But Sean, I want to come to you a little bit talking about that that kind of number. You know, we, we hear these numbers, oh, you can get in and open a concept in two weeks for $8,000. Uh, you know, we, we hear that, okay, maybe you can get in 25,000, 50,000, uh, less than 100,000. So there's a lot of different potential numbers and it's obviously gonna depend on your circumstances and the factors. But Sean, give us a little bit of insight uh, for you you know, what you're thinking about. I know people ask you all the time, hey, I'm looking to get into a concept like that. How much money do you need in the bank? How capitalized do you need to be to start your ghost kitchen concept? Let's dig into that a little bit. Sure. Well, I, I appreciate the, the space and I love what Andrew said. Look at price per square foot when you're evaluating the virtual space or the ghost kitchen space. I mean, for us, like, I, like I've said, is if we wanted to open up another Cali Comfort Barbecue, full service restaurant, sports bar, 5,700 square feet, you know, 6,000 square feet in San Diego, lease 
lease rates are expensive. Build out is expensive. So, you know, at minimum, I'm looking at a million, $1.5 million to open up another restaurant. And at the peak before the pandemic, we had 64 employees doing 3.3 million in sales. So it's, you know, it's a significant amount of work for me and a, the a level of complexity and knowing that maybe we picked the wrong market, maybe we picked the wrong real estate. They tell you location, location, location. What ghost kitchens and virtual kitchens have allowed us is the ability to beta test. I mean, literally the ability to go into a market and like he said, just doing for FF and E, furnitures, fixtures and equipment that we can get in for less than $75,000. $75,000 is still a lot of money. Um, but for us to get in and to test, now we can serve barbecue into the greater San Diego city, which allows us to hit different neighborhoods that the only way for them to access our barbecue is to drive 20 minutes east. Um, now we can service another 1 million people through Uber Eats, through Grubhub, through DoorDash, through them ordering online through our Toast platform and coming downtown to test that. And we're only at a 12 month commitment. Um, so for us, it's a very attractive model and it's just why we want to test other markets and other markets, other locations that we open, they won't always be in this virtual food hall where we have a master landlord. We're, a bit, we're able to be flexible where we could go into a brewery, we could go into a hotel, we could go into you know, a failed taco business and take over that as we decide what exactly do we need at those locations because like I said, our concept is a little bit different because we're not actually cooking everything at our ghost kitchen. We're actually smoking all of our meats on location at our master smokehouse and then delivering them for distribution on a daily basis, multiple times a day at our ghost kitchens. All right. So that's 75,000 number. I, I like that a lot more. There's an interesting thing at play here. I want, I want the barrier of entry to be lower, right? I think that somebody sinking, you know, their house and everything that they own and being so over leveraged to get into their dream restaurant is a vulnerability that's been exposed. It is so unbelievably difficult. And we kind of have preyed on our own passions and sold ourselves to stream. And I know because I've closed multiple restaurants because you get too close to your baby, too close to that dream. So I do want the barrier to be lower. However, I don't want this churn and burn mentality that I've seen play out in this kind of ghost kitchen space right now, where it's like, you can open in two weeks, it'll cost you eight grand, like, let's just get going. And the reality is like, it's fucking hard. No matter what you're doing, if you're in the food and beverage industry, it's going to be a challenge and you need to address and be aware of those challenges. And so that's what I want for you. I want 50, $75,000. I like that number. I like that number because you have enough skin in the game where you're going to take every step seriously and invest in all the right places and not just be a gunslinger, try and get in there and fight your way out of every hole that you put yourself in. But I also don't want to be in a position where you are, again, putting your house up in these different elements. So I think well, there's Jeff something interesting to, uh, to unpack here. So want to be able to understand that $50,000, $75,000, that feels like a reasonable number for a barrier to entry into a virtual food hall style ghost kitchen. So as far as investment goes, that's the numbers that I would be thinking about to be able to make it work. Could you make it work for less? Yes, absolutely. You could, yet you're going to put yourself in a situation where you're always playing in the red. And that is such a huge struggle. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about some of the differences, uh, the nuance of cost, especially in marketing and some of the things that we haven't traditionally spent money on. So we'll dig into that a little bit. I do want to talk 
about that price per square foot because it's a very different potential number. Uh, Andrew, maybe if you can just jump back in for a second and give us that expectation price per square foot that you'd pay on rent. You mentioned the 10%, 8, 8%, 10% occupancy percentage cost. That's your rent and, and those elements that feed into that. What's traditional and what are you maybe seeing a little bit more in these virtual food halls? Then I want to come to Kyle to kind of break that down as, as kind of our real estate um, mensch on this show. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think as Sean mentioned, you know, these numbers are going to vary wildly based on where you are in the country or even where you are geographically within a city. I'm sure that Sean is probably seeing different rates from location to location, even in the same city. Um, you know, but when you're looking at price per square foot, you know, maybe maybe you're fortunate and you're paying something as low as like $28 per square foot, or maybe you're looking at the hottest part of town with a new development and you're at $52 a square foot. And then you have your, your triple net on top of that, which is, you know, some people call it cam charges. Some people call it triple net. Some people roll it all in together. And, and a lot of that includes taxes. And, and what a lot of people don't understand is that, when you're talking about the property tax portion of your triple net, that is a that's actually a variable, right? That's that's to a certain degree outside of the control of your landlord because if there's a new property tax assessment in your neighborhood in the city and property taxes go up, that's a pass through. So even though you may start at seven, ten, fourteen dollars per square foot for triple net charges that include property taxes that is beyond your control and beyond your landlord's control. And, and so, you know, typically the cam charges in ghost kitchens are, are not taking into account property taxes. So you actually have the opportunity to remove one of the variable costs that people don't typically think of as a variable cost. Appreciate that. All right, Kyle, uh, Riff, man, price per square foot, the real estate itself, how much kitchen space you're getting, Obviously, it's going to be significantly higher because you don't have all that investment. All that infrastructure is taken care of. So if you get caught just looking at that number, because it's, it's one of the few numbers that we actually get taught when we're, we're getting into the restaurant industry is that $52 a square foot triple net. Break it down for us a little bit. What do we need to be thinking about? You know, I, I mean, I really think I would you know, ask this ask this question to the group because in, in my world of commercial real estate, we deal everything in, in, in square feet, right? In cost per square foot. And like it's been mentioned here, it's not the case, right? For, for these ghost kitchen brands. And a lot of them are not looking on main and main. And they're not looking at these restaurant numbers. Maybe they're looking at gross rents. Maybe they're looking at percentage rents uh, in a wholesale uh, district that maybe is zoned for what they're looking to do. Um, it seems to be cut a lot of different ways. And I don't know that there's a, a clear cut answer. But it seems to me, after looking at, at some of these budgets and, and financials, that, you know, you're making up for that rent number in other areas, right? Like you don't have as much staff, um, you know, you don't have maybe as much product in some cases, or in Sean's case, you're doing it offsite, so you, maybe you're saving on both ends. Um, you know, we start in this business, whether you're a ghost kitchen, whether you're a Lululemon, or if you're, um, you know, a Danny Meyer restaurant, is what are your sales? You know, the good landlord is going to want, and that's one of the best things that came out of this pandemic, if you ask me, is the relationship and the communication with the landlords. And this thing of, well, it's $67 a square foot and that's market. Well, that's great, but 
restaurants have historically been known to make bad financial decisions when it comes to rent, understanding your financials and being upfront with what you expect to do in sales and having that number fall in, in you know, I, I like to see it somewhere between six and a half to eight and a half percent um, for a traditional restaurant. Uh, obviously, it's, it's not a not a golden rule here, but um, I think being just transparent with your landlord what you expect to do in sales and what you can afford to do in rent. And I just had this conversation with somebody before, which is why I was late to, to jumping on here. But, you know, I, I think there are ways to make these creative, you know, get creative with your rent structure in terms of the escalations, in terms of maybe a kickout clause. Um, there, there are ways to make this work for both sides, but I think it ultimately begins with, with transparency on the sales. It's got to be transparency and you got to do the math. You got to run the numbers. You got to do those sales numbers. And so one of the things that I always recommend when you're looking at your ability to put yourself in the black is to go to the actual numbers that you know how to interact with. And we know how to interact with our food cost. Hopefully we know how to interact with guest count. Hopefully we know how to interact with check average, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you're able to do those things, putting up, real numbers based on how many covers can you do in a day? What does that take to execute? And some of those operational elements that I think we traditionally can can do pretty well and have as a strength that we can deploy to do the actual math. Because it's easy to say, oh yeah, I'm going to do $850,000 a year. How? Well, I'm going to do yep. $25,000 a week at this part of the year. I'm going to do $51,000 at this part. Well, why? How are you actually building in those numbers? And so I think they need to run the numbers so that you actually understand what that is. And so you know, I know that's something that you work on with, with clients all the time, Kyle. Why is that important? And how often do you run across a chef who just has never run their own numbers? They've just <laughs> made their own food. Yeah, I used to run into them a lot more. But thankfully, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to be dealing with guys who get it. And that's, and that's what it's all about. And, and these guys are, may seem a certain way on the outside. You know, the local guy, how's he making it work? Um, but I guarantee you it all starts with their numbers. Either if they know it, if they don't know it, somebody they know knows it. Um, hopefully they have a broker that that's guiding them in the right way. Um, but you know, think things like, um, understanding your rent in terms of your sales should be restaurant one-on-one because it is one of your biggest expenses. And the mistake that's often made is, Hey, you know what? We've got 15 and maybe this is a little bit more traditional restaurant, uh, ideology, but. You know, we have 1,500 square feet. We do, you know, 1.5 million out a year. If we had 2,500 square feet, we could do two, two and a quarter. I, I still would base those numbers off of, you know, maybe a little bit of a, of a bump up, but I wouldn't get too idealistic. Um, you know, you, you only can do, you only can base these numbers off of what you've done. Everything else is just wishful thinking. And the last thing you're going to want to do is pin your hopes on a 10-year lease with a personal guarantee with a landlord who's going to hold you to that personal guarantee on some some dream you have of what you're going to do in terms of sales. So I would encourage you to be uh, cautiously optimistic on your sales projections if it's a new venture like a ghost kitchen. Um, and right now, even now, there are deals to be had. And just, you know, ask for the world. Ask for everything. Ask for them to contribute on the build-out. Ask for them to install the hood. Ask for, you know, four months free rent. Ask for 10 months free rent. Um, you know, ask for escalations to start in the fourth year. Um, there are a lot of different ways to, to get creative and have a, a mutually beneficial relationship, but you're not going to get it if you don't ask. I love it. You need to, you need to do a course on just shoot the moon, ask for it all. I appreciate that. All right. So, uh, we will get a couple of people up on stage here that can ask some questions. 
it looks like uh, Andre is struggling with the robots. We lost him. We might bring up some financial questions because in working with Andre, he definitely had some struggles and challenges of understanding those, uh, which is something that, you know, he wanted to be able to talk about today, uh, which we really appreciate. So uh, we I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, tech and cam and, and what those look like. Your cam, your culinary maintenance, uh, we, we kind of know as, as trash areas or the parking lot or so, you know, signage, those things in the traditional restaurant, you're seeing a lot of different charges here. And a lot of them have to do with some of the technology elements as some of those things are funneling through this, uh, the landlord or the operator of this virtual food hall model. You're also seeing a, uh, a service staff, right? So you have food runners and expediters that are part of the extension of your staff, so to speak, to be able to have you just focusing and executing that food, getting it out the door. They come and pick it up from your door, your window, your rack you have set up, getting it out to the driver and or the customer, right? And so there's additional costs. So the cam charges typically are significantly higher than you might expect um, based on kind of you having this tiny, small kitchen. So I wanted to touch on those. Sean, I uh, wanted to come to you and then Andrew, have you kind of break that down. Uh, and then we will get Jim involved in the conversation. I saw you're able to unmute your microphone and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about equipment. That's definitely Jim's specialty as that's a little bit of a variable that's unexpected within this ghost kitchen model. But Sean, for you, tech, cam, some of those elements, uh, how are you navigating that? What are the, some of the costs associated with that for you? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the b biggest things with cam charges is the storage space. So because these ghost kitchens are so small, um, there's not much storage space, so you don't have, you know, typically what we have here in our 5,700 square foot restaurant, we have, I mean, we have one of the largest kitchen spaces um, in the county, but then we go down to our, our ghost kitchen location, and if we wanted additional storage, it's available, but it's for an, for an additional fee on top of our cam charges. If we wanted walk-in space, it would be an additional fee on top, but we're fortunate that our concept isn't lending us, we don't have to use that space. Like I said, we're doing all of our receiving, all of our prep, all of our smoking, all done at our master location. So we're literally saving a lot of um, additional charges as if, you know, I, I think of it a, a lot like a food truck, instead of becoming a food truck, anchoring into a community through a ghost kitchen and then setting up your ghost kitchen so that 365 days out of the year, people not only know that your food truck is there, but they also are available to get your food through delivery. I mean, that's really the benefit of the ghost kitchen location is that you become a mini restaurant within the community. And the more that you are a friendly ghost and you start to embrace that community and take roots, participate in events so that people know that you are there, that makes it much more of planting a seed um, and doing something that we do in the restaurant business as opposed to vending. I mean, part of the problem that I have with ghost kitchens is it seems like a vending play where we're just trying to go fishing where there's fish and then, you know, literally take all the fish away and then move to the next location where there's fish. And that's really not how restaurants work. We have to build through community. We have to build through relationships. We have to build through loyal customers. And you do that through building on brand and you do that through social. Um, you obviously have to have an incredible product. Uh, but the costs involved in running those things, very important. And one of the things you said earlier, um, Jensen, that I wanted to circle back on was, the ghost kitchen opportunity, $75,000, it is a commitment. That's a significant amount of money. Um, but there are other ways that you can get involved 
in the food entrepreneur business without getting into the ghost kitchen business. Like you can go and participate in a farmer's market. You can start a business on Facebook and start selling the food in the group. You don't need to make that commitment to jump into the ghost kitchen space because there is a lot of additional things that had we not been operating our business for 13 years, it would be much more difficult for us to navigate. How do we use Grubhub, Uber Eats, DoorDash? How do we integrate those? How do we bring in Toast? How do we use Flipdish, which is the pro proprietary tech that they're using for on-site pickup? If we didn't know how to do all those things, we wouldn't know how to negotiate with those tech partners. We wouldn't know how to develop relationships. And we'd be sitting at the mercy of a 30% um, delivery cost, which we do not have. We don't have that because we're negotiating based off of brand. We're doing the things that Kyle's talking about, which is asking for things that most people don't ask for. But if you ask those questions, you can start to develop relationships with these third-party deliveries and these tech partners that give you a much better financial position for the long term. Respect. And just got me thinking, yeah, I see uh, Katie Fisco in the audience who uh, was gracious enough. Definitely go check out Ghost. Uh, Ghost Kitchen launch party on Besser podcast platform because a lot of good stuff there. And you speak a lot about kind of being a part of that community. And Katie, uh, you know, is planning on doing the Filipino pop-ups to bring that concept and, and her heritage to the forefront. And so I think what's interesting is like, just because it might be an opportunity that's out there, it might be the fourth opportunity that you take. I think understanding the numbers, understanding the opportunity, what's out there, what pitfalls there are, so that you can get yourself in a position to start building your brand in a way that if a ghost kitchen is right for you, you're properly positioned. And that doesn't just mean that you've figured out how to make a delicious dish. I think a lot of us can do that. It's how you're going to deliver that uh, and how you're going to deliver that to the actual guest. So I think that's an important thing to consider for sure. And, and uh, Katie, thanks for raising your hand. I will bring you guys up in a moment. So I want to get a couple more ground uh, work things up. And I saw a couple of you raise your hand. So I would definitely get you up on stage because I want to get you interacting with us for sure. Uh, Andrew, uh, tech, Cam, anything else that needs to be considered as kind of part of your playbook as far as the costs go when you're thinking about the ghost kitchen? Anything else we need to be uh, aware of? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, and certainly a tip of the cap to Sean for talking about storage, because that's super important, uh, you know, and whether you're buying a shelf or whether you're buying an entire rack and, you know, then you can talk about refrigerated, you can talk about frozen, you can talk about dry. So that adds up pretty quickly. Um, and then as far as tech goes, you know, um, there, uh, there's the third-party order aggregator, which is the piece of technology that will bring in all of your third-party apps through one system so that if you're using five third-party apps, you don't need five different tablets to track all of the orders. And then, uh, again, perhaps depending upon how you're set up, the, the landlord is going to be providing um, you know, a, a kitchen display system. And um, more so even to be able to see the orders up on the KDS, it, it's to bump the order up to the front desk where your landlord's uh, runners and expediters are then coming back and, and getting the food. And then, you know, there's the, the point of sale system where, you know, maybe you need to all be on the same point of sale system for a 10 or a 25 or a 50 unit uh, kitchen concept or Maybe everybody has the opportunity to look at their own. So that's very important. And then, you know, another piece of technology that's super interesting 
not only from the tenant's point of view of, of bringing value in terms of uh, time clock and uh, especially employee engagement, but also from, from the property owner's point of view um, is a piece of technology called Seven Shifts. And one of the really interesting things there is that not only is it a labor and an engagement tool, but if you set up your account where the landlord is the master and the tenants are in a sub account, then it actually helps the operator of the entire building staff properly because they can see the tenants sales by hour and thereby provide the right sized amount of labor support for the tenants as a whole based on what their sales trends are. So those are some of the big key technology pieces that are typically covered in a CAM. Okay, quite a few additional considerations that again, traditionally restaurants we may not be aware of. So just understanding what the cost is, more importantly, understanding what the value of those are, right? If you're going into a, a ghost kitchen model, again, we're talking about the virtual food hall scenario. There are five potential scenarios of virtual kitchen, ghost kitchen, dark kitchen, headless restaurants, all of the, all of the taglines that have been attached to it. And uh, definitely listen back to uh, one of the last episodes on, on the podcast where we talked about that specifically and broke down what those different uh, styles are. Anyway, uh, I think it's important for us to understand the value that those bring, because if you're going into a unit that doesn't have some of those elements, it may be a vulnerability for the potential for your success. So consider that, because I know it's easy to be like, oh, great, I don't have as many costs at that other, one, at that other location that I looked at. Are you getting the value out of the costs that are associated with you getting? So make sure that you're aware that just a lower price, you, you could be paying for uh, getting what you pay for. So uh, I want to talk about equipment a little bit. All right. So equipment, big, big cost, the largest cost potentially for this process of getting into one of your own virtual food hall uh, units. Right. And you potentially are trying out multiple concepts, uh, testing them out. Are you trying a new breakfast concept? Are you doing a late night concept? Uh, do you have your core concepts? And then you are riffing off that. So there's a lot of opportunity there. With that, in this small footprint, uh, the potential to get yourself into the wrong equipment comes up a lot. So I want to talk about equipment costs. Are you buying it? Are you leasing it? Are you renting it? Are you on a one-year lease? Then what are you doing with the equipment? So again, I want to have Angie just set the table a little bit and then bring Jim in, who's hyper-focused on the versatility of the equipment you actually do have in these locations. But Andrew, set the table for us again a little bit on the idea of equipment. For sure. And I think, you know, this is really interesting because depending upon who the host, the property owner, the landlord is, there are a lot of different options. Um, some of them are provided through them. Uh, some of them you still have to search out on your own. Uh, you, you know, you have options to, you, you can buy, you can like what would be traditional, you can just buy the equipment that you need. Um, you know, then the question is, well, if I'm in a one-year lease, what does that mean if I'm buying all of my equipment, whether it's new or used? Um, then there's the other option, which would be um, rent to own, right? Uh, so you're, you're, you're in, a, in essence, leasing your equipment, but paying it off over time. And again, that could be a challenge if, if you've got five years to pay off your equipment, your barrier of entry is much lower um, on a month to month basis and you're not putting out all of that money up front for new. And, and then there are other 
ghost kitchen, virtual kitchen hosts who actually just allow you to straight out rent the equipment that you need during the term through one of their partners. And, you know, I, I think one of the things too, that, that when you kick it over to Jim, that's really important to talk about is the versatility of the equipment that you're going to use and what can you get that can do multiple jobs for you because your square footage is at such a premium in such a small footprint. Yeah, appreciate that. And so for like Sean, he needs very specialized equipment because the smokers, you may be in a pizza concept, you're going to put a lot of real estate and a lot of money towards having that marquee piece of equipment. For so many other concepts, you're going to want and need that versatility to be able to bob and weave ebb and flow within your concept or your multiple concepts or or your evolving concept that you might be trying multiple over a one year span. There's a lot of optionality that it creates. It can also uh, create a lot of confusion uh, if you're not focused on what you're doing. So, Jim, uh, you want to go ahead and actually, since we kind of skipped introduction, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself uh, for just a moment and uh, and then touch on this. I know this is top of mind for you and, and the work that you're doing and operators that you're speaking to. So uh, introduce yourself and then uh, pick that up. Equipment, versatility. Yeah, thanks, Jensen. Yeah, uh, Jim Baxter here. You know, I work with uh, Rationale, uh, with key accounts specifically, been involved in a lot of ghost kitchen activity lately, as you all know. It's it's this booming thing like the Wild West. It's just going wild. And and Andrew had touched on some things that I, I, I really talk about a lot. Is it versatile enough? Um, the one thing I see a lot in ghost kitchen today is playing safe. And what I mean by that, as far as equipment packages go, is I see the standard grills, griddles, and things like that. They're safe, uh, relatively inexpensive. They take up a lot of uh, space, um, but it's we understand what they do, and functionality-wise, they're they're basic, but we understand it. What I talk about a lot is the ability to uh, go with a piece of equipment that has a lot of functionality, that can do a lot of different things, um, and it should be able to displace two or three pieces of equipment. So what we're trying to do here is limit the amount of uh, space that's uh, consuming the back of the house, the restaurant area there, where space is a premium, and go vertical. And when I talk about going vertical is looking at um, specific pieces of equipment that can uh, pan fry, that can steam, that can bake, and so forth, um, and possibly work and do things in the same environment um, simultaneously. Um, what that does for the operator is um, working with less space uh, and working with something that has a lot of uh, features that are built into it. It takes a lot of the guesswork out of uh, operators who are trying to man stations that are very manual, uh, labor intensive, and so forth. Now we operate something uh, that's more versatile and has functionality and almost automation. Um, it cuts your labor costs uh, considerably takes away some of the investment that you're putting in because you're taking up a lot of space in your kitchen. But now I can probably do in less space that it takes for one piece of equipment and do it in a third of the space that takes three pieces of equipment. So these are things that I talk about a lot um, that operators need to be aware of because they go with the easy route and they think that they're going the less expensive route. But in the end of the day, we can go versatile, offer more functionality in less space. And that's the thing that I talk about the most, especially in ghost kitchens. And touch on this, this idea of vertical a little bit more. And uh, because I, I'm going to lay a scenario out after, after I hear your answer and then kick it to Kyle, because I'm interested in this 
copy and paste mentality of like, this is just the line setup we've always known. And so we just regurgitate and regurgitate, and regurgitate, but going vertical, what, what, what does that mean? I mean, we're, we're so used to the 36 inch, this, the 24 inch, this, the 18 inch, that, uh, what are you talking about? How, how vertical are we going? Paint a little bit more of a picture on that. Well, I'll give you a perfect example here, guys. And I'm afraid I'm going to be doing a little bit of soft selling, but not intentional. Um, however, uh, there's a concept I'm working with back East, uh, who's um, opening up their first location among many. Um, and what they, on their original equipment plan, they had like a three foot grill, uh, two feet of griddle, and then an additional grill on the flip side. And so you start adding up uh, all these dimensions, you're talking, you're getting into the 80 or 90 inch range of real estate underneath a commercial hood, by the way, which is, you know, several thousand dollars per linear foot to install. So the idea of going vertical, you take like something like a rationale or something another company might offer a similar rationale. Each shelf level is the equivalent of 12 inches of grill or griddle space. So on that particular shelf, I can add items that I'm grilling on, for example. The next shelf up uh, that's working within the same environment, perhaps I'm doing some pan frying. So for each shelf that I'm operating, and a unit can have six or 10 or 20 shelves, I'm doing something very specific that a grill or a griddle could do, but I'm doing it on shelves that are monitored independently as opposed to manually uh, turning and, and working with a spatula or whatever on a grill or a griddle and doing it by sight and by you know expertise I know it's done. I mean, I'm tempting it at the end. Yeah, I like that. And the reason I want to think vertical is because we don't do that enough because everything on our stations is directly in front of us. It's it's the mentality and the approach that we have that we, we need to break the linear thinking that we have of the way that a kitchen is constructed. This is so, so important in this process because space, I mean, the, the, the amount of people on this planet, the amount of build outs, the amount of apartments going up within one mile of your place is probably exponential to what it was five years ago. We are consuming so much space. And so the ability to think small, which is something we do not do that that well in this kitchen, uh, excuse me, in kitchens, in restaurants, potentially in this country is super important. So there's a mindset shift there. Kyle, the real estate side of it, again, the square feet. I want to bring this back in. How many concepts have I consulted on, you consulted on, done ourselves where it's 36 inch charbroiler, 24 inch uh, griddle flat top, two 35 pound fryers, uh, work table at each end of that scenario. There's the cheese melter that goes directly above the grill or griddle under your eight foot to 10 foot hood. This is the copy and paste mentality that we've had for so long. And look, it cooks a lot of the things that we needed to cook. You're specializing, you're focusing and need versatility. Uh, did I did I just describe 75%? Maybe maybe there's a French top. There's a couple uh, low boy ovens there, but that's pretty much the kitchens that we came up in. Uh, you know, Break it down for us a little bit. The actual construction, the amount of space in the kitchen itself. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head and it's that's, it's kind of what we've always done in this industry is do what was done before us, right? And I, I'm, I'm excited to hear these conversations about the technology and the forward thinking of how to lay out your kitchen and make it more cost effective. And, you know, particularly, you know, on the real estate side, right? I mean, you're, you're paying um, good money for back of the house space. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, 40% of your space. It doesn't have to be, 
you know, um, chewing up so much of your valuable real estate where you need guests in your space. You you can go vertical, like we're talking about here, which I think is really intelligent. And and I wish more people would hear it because I it's I'd like to think that more of my clients are thinking this way. But the reality is, when you get into scalable concepts, you know, yeah, there's some more tech involved, and they're a little bit more, you know, more. Um, they're more apt to to adapt that stuff in in the in the interest of you know easier for cooks to use or easier for for a certain different type of staff member to use. But the reality is, it comes down to cost per square. It still comes down to cost per square foot. And if you can minimize that and still execute the same product, uh, I think it it just makes sense to look at what's out there and really listen. And and I know listening to you talk about you know selling the you know a little bit of a soft sell it's funny how many restaurant owners don't listen to because they don't want to be sold. Right. But the reality is you can't just look at the cheapest product. You can't just look at what's going to cost, you know, the lowest out of pocket and if it breaks, you know, this is what I've always used. There are better solutions out there and, and it pays to have somebody really, I think, teach you what that is. And I think it'd be wise for, for everybody to kind of open their eyes to that instead of just doing what was always done. Yeah. If you do what you did, then you get what you got. And it's time for us to, to level up and, Get out of that scarcity mindset, abundance mindset. I'm going to get all philosophical on you, but it's time. It's long past due, right? It's, it's easy to be cynical about this opportunity because it's unknown. And look, there's a lot of back actors in this space who are just churning and burning concepts to try and, you know, get VC backing for proof of concept. There's lots of stuff happening that is detrimental to the long term of our industry yet the reality is we've been in that game already like the restaurant business model is not a good business model by and large and so we need to reconcile with that and understand there's new opportunities there's new questions we need to ask there's new technology there's new investments in people that we need to make there's there's new equipment that we haven't considered and so considering the value versus the cost is something you will always hear from me and that's why i want to have uh, jim on because you know even the the defi- some of the definitions i changed a couple of the names but some of the definitions that we got were from rationale because they're thinking about what are these different scenarios of a ghost kitchen virtual kitchen and what nuance and the difference of investment of equipment of infrastructure would you have it play? And so I think that's important for us to consider. So uh, appreciate that. Uh, I want to talk marketing really, really quick, uh, even though we should have a whole show on marketing. Uh, Cliffhanger, we're probably going to have a whole show on Ghost Kitchen Marketing when uh, Sean gets back from Bulgaria. Uh, But for now, I want to touch on this, and then maybe Sean, if, if you have anything to add to this. Third party. There's a lot of animosity with third parties, uh, deliveries, the 30% fees. There's a lot of animosity with drivers. Listen to the last episode where we talk a lot about driver relationships. It's a huge vulnerability and the biggest opportunity of end-to-end hospitality. Now, third party apps. That is a marketing tool. That is not a sales tool. And I need you to think about it differently. Think about your CAC, your customer acquisition cost, and your LTV, your lifetime value of a customer. You need to be able to run those numbers. And I would absolutely pay 30% to meet a new customer who I wouldn't have had access to because I don't have this massive technology, social media infrastructure that one of these third-party apps does. I would pay 30% once, twice, three times, maybe four, maybe five times even. If I had a way to bring them in as my customer. So this is where that last mile solution, Sean alluded to that, is super important. And I wanna give you a couple little tips 
that I'd be thinking about. Imagine if somebody ordered from DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats, Postmates, Caviar, and on and on from you. And everybody now, QR codes are native within your phone app. And so everybody's scanning QR codes now. They scan a QR code that takes them to one of two places. There's two scenarios that I really like. Number one, if they order from, say, DoorDash, and it says, thank you so much. I am so grateful, and our whole team here is so grateful that you ordered food with us, and we hope that you enjoy it. It means so much to us. And if ever you're able to check out our website and get delivery directly for us, or even pop your head in and be able to pick up from us, it would mean the world to us. And even if you can't and you, you, know, you like the convenience of ordering through this application, we look forward to serving you again. That's hospitality. That changes the narrative and your ability to connect with a customer in a meaningful way, even though you don't have butts and seats in your dining room. That's hospitality. We need to continue to deploy what we're good at against now what creates the potential for a gap in that relationship. That's number one I want you to think about. Number two, imagine if that QR code additionally took them to a video of you preparing that dish for them, for you plating that dish for them, and you able to deconstruct that dish instead of having the sopping wet burger bun and the cold french fries and all of the scenarios that play out and the gripes that we hear from all sides with delivery food. And you deconstructed for them in a way where they could just have a couple touches and be able to recreate the dish that you meant for them to have and they got to see your face preparing that alongside them. It changes the relationship. That's the marketing you need to put into this ecosystem. Last piece, 5% of gross sales is typically the quote unquote industry standard. Most restaurants that I've been a part of, if you spend 2% on marketing, uh, that's a high number. We do not invest enough in marketing. The old adage of just focus on the food, make great food. It's not true. It never was true. It definitely isn't true today. If you build it, they will come. Marketing does not work. You have got to connect with people. You have to tell stories. You have to bring value. Nobody gives a shit about your burger. They care about where the meat came from and they care about the person that's cooking it. You need to be able to tell that story and it's gonna take significantly more time, more than anything, and effort to learn all these different channels, to learn the smartphone that's in your hand right now is a tool that you have and you additionally need to invest in the creative, the content, the distribution, and yes, you need to build out audiences and boost posts. I totally just stole the microphone, but I just want to like rapid fire you guys with a lot of information. Sean, anything to add there on marketing? Again, we are totally having another marketing ghost kitchen how-to room. I want to bring a couple people on stage because I want them to be a part of this conversation. Sean, anything else on marketing? I, I would rather bring the people on stage. You know me, I'm long-winded. And if you get me talking about marketing, I mean, we're going to go all day, so... Let's it's, let's 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 let the people that have been patiently raising their hands, um, especially, especially since it's uh, it's my good friend Troy and Doug, and then uh, I think uh, Suvrat also has a question. So bring them on up. Awesome. Well, let's do this. I'll bring people up on stage. I'll, I'll call on you, Andre. Wanted to have you jump in. Uh, I know we lost you there for a minute. Hopefully, you got uh, uh, to listen to a little bit of this. But I know you specifically uh, wanted a little bit of support on looking at the numbers with Andrew. And, you know, looking at kind of your budgets, your costing, some of that. Any questions to ask this crew while you've got them? Anything that keeps you up at night as you're trying to figure out how the hell you're going to make these dollars make sense to you? Uh, love to have you ask a question and uh, get, some, get some feedback.
And Andre, if you're speaking, we can't hear you. It looks like you're unmuted, but uh, oh. you try again. Damn, all this talk about how important these robots are and they keep letting us down. Uh, Andre, hopefully we can come back to you here in a moment. I'm going to bring a couple more people up on stage here. Doug and Troy and Katie. Uh, Doug, if you want to go ahead and uh, just introduce yourself quick and then go ahead and um, uh, kind of ask. Sure, no problem. Hopefully you can hear me. Hopefully, uh... Yeah, we can hear you now. Go ahead. Okay, perfect. All right. So uh, I know Sean. I'm actually a business broker by day for the last 16 years and uh, barbecue world champion and Traeger Pro um, ambassador on um, uh, on the food side in the evenings and weekends. Um, on the the I liken this ghost concept to a dry cleaner and drop stations. So really need to think about it. How many ghost stations can you support? How far are they? The logistics, that sort of thing. As it relates to industry specifics in our industry for the uh, kind of restaurant numbers and things like that, there's a group called the Boston Restaurant Group. And they are kind of like the gold standard for us in terms of looking at it for sales of, uh, of businesses. Any business that you start, you need to have an exit plan and how you're going to implement it. Yeah, we're talking about the uh, uh, sales per square foot. The rule of thumb that we have, I've got a bunch of different rules of thumb, but yearly sales per square foot is 291 for a, uh, a normal casual style restaurant. Um, sales per employee, employee is 55,000. Sales per seat, 7,500. Obviously, that doesn't make sense in a ghost, ghost kitchen. But 291 is the number I wanted to key on from a landlord or space perspective because I would think you would want to try to get a much higher than that um, sales per square foot. Um, and as it relates to landlords, as a broker, here's a couple of things. If you get a loan out and you're including these ghost kitchens as part of your loan, you're going to have to get a 10-year loan normally with the bank or however long your amortization is. So you need to, to really kind of take that into consideration because if anything, the landlords are tougher to deal with and getting a short-term loan, uh, excuse me, a short-term lease is probably not in the cards in a lot of different cases. So look at that. And when you get sign a lease, look at the transfer clauses and make sure that uh, if you are able to sublease, et cetera, so that you have an exit plan if it doesn't work well at that ghost kitchen. Thanks for inviting me to this. Doug, that's great. Appreciate that. Great insights. And uh, the uh, the Boston Restaurant Group will be uh, looking them up. I'm sure we probably know some of uh, their work. Um, so appreciate that. Uh, Andre, one more time. Let's see if we can get you get you un, unmuted here and, and hear you. Can you go ahead and uh, unmute and speak to us? Yes. Can you hear me now? There, hey, let's go. All right. Yeah, Andre okay. Dorsey. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, in the car, on speaker, and it decides it doesn't want to work. Uh, so, sorry about leaving like that, but I had to go. I had my deep fryer delivered. I had to inspect it to make for sure everything was up to par. Uh, my my question would be for marketing. Uh, it's trying to figure out what is the best plan to go with, and I think part of my question was just answered by the gentleman who was just speaking previously. Uh, what type of uh, plan alone to go and what to look out for 
especially being a startup. I'm pretty much a startup with this uh, virtual kitchen. So I just need to know uh, what really to look out for, uh, what to do, what not to do, and uh, how to uh, put it in a proper uh, context. Appreciate that, Andre. I'll give you some of the high level. I'll let Sean jump in. Uh, this is for sure part of his wheelhouse. N uh, number one thing that you need to do is get onto the social media platforms. Pick the five platforms that are the most contextual to you, the work that you do, the way that you communicate, and your audience. And you know that that audience, the customer archetype, is something that we work on because it's incredibly valuable to get in the mindset, get in the head of the people that you're of service to. Uh, because you're not going to have them in the dining room to be able to interact with, to be able to get that quick feedback loop. You need to understand where they are, when they are where they are is very important. Thinking of, of a mother of, of three children, the way, the way and when you're going to communicate with them over a weekend when there's soccer games and there's you know play dates, all these things is different than on a Tuesday when they're just trying to get food on the table and you know, two parents are both working and they're picking up kids from school and somebody else is riding the bus. So understanding where and how the customer is is needing you to interact with them and what platforms that are contextual to how you communicate they're going to be on. So those are the top things that I would focus on for sure. Uh, and then it gets into like understanding the creative and some of those things. But if you do those, if you commit to just start producing content, communicating on the five channels that matter for you, right? Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever and however you're going to be able to communicate uh, is going to be important. I'll let Sean pick that up with, with the different medias that you might want to deploy. But Sean, a couple uh, answers to help uh, Andre out here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, number one, before the social media sites is your website. So your website, you are an e-commerce platform and your website is where all your content needs to go. It's your search engine. It is where people are going to find you and it needs to be mobile first, not mobile optimized, mobile first, whatever you're selling, make it easy to buy, make it easy to check out, make it easy to get rewards, make it easy for Google to find you. Um, number two, make sure you claim your Yelp page, your free Yelp page and your business listing. Um, Yelp is such a powerful search engine optimization tool. Uh, make sure that you claim your Google profile. So the two social media profiles that are the most important to restaurants, in my opinion, are Google and Yelp. You have to claim those profiles, you have to update them, and the photos that you're gonna use for Yelp, the photos that you're gonna use for Google of your food and of your products, those need to go on your website. Those will also go on Uber Eats and DoorDash and Grubhub. So ultimately, we like to make smartphone storytelling as easy as possible. You have what you need in your pocket. The thing that you're talking on right now to communicate through Clubhouse, that's everything you need to build your brand and to build your friendly ghost kitchen. We call it a friendly ghost kitchen because the most important thing that you do is you share the story of who you are, what you're, why you're doing what you're doing, the community around you, and you share it through video, audio, written word, and images. And you can do all of that through that smartphone. So if you have any other questions, you can uh, hit me up. My Instagram page, Sean P. Walchef. Um, Digital Hospitality is our podcast. We're obsessed with smartphone storytelling and making it easier on operators, chefs, entrepreneurs, anybody that literally wants to start telling their story. We've had some incredible opportunities um, in a crazy, crazy location. If you came to Spring Valley, you wouldn't realize, why is this guy so loud on the internet about barbecue? But we've only, we've done it on the backs of uh, giants, on the backs of smartphones. So my name's Sean, I'm done speaking.
Yeah, and Andre, definitely hit up Sean. He means that he'll absolutely follow up and give you some insights. That is the mission uh, that he's on. And uh, Andre has a great story, so figure out how to get that out there. Uh, we need more of that. So so appreciate that, Andre. Appreciate um, the work and the the struggle that you have. So uh, we'll get you we'll get you some more feedback. Want to get in a couple more people? Uh, Katie, definitely, Katie. Uh, welcome back because we really appreciated hearing from you on the first of this little three part mini series, the Ghost Kitchen launch party about your concept. But uh, you got a, a question for us? A little more insights? Uh, anything to add? Yes. Um, yes. I'm just wondering for me, what are some practical ways that I could start researching spaces that would make sense for my business? So far, I've looked into food halls and the prices are kind of ridiculous. They take a huge chunk of your your sales on top of a monthly fee. Um, and some of them do help with equipment and that kind of thing, which is great. But, um, you know, if you're car starting from ground zero, what are some spaces that people might not think of that are unusual to use as a ghost kitchen, especially in Colorado Springs, or what are some apps, websites, rev uh, avenues to go through to search for them? Okay. The first thing that I would do is find out the restaurant in your neighborhood who's closed on Sunday, Monday, Monday, Tuesday, and you probably know them, start a relationship with them and see if you can utilize that space. Because I know you're planning to do some pop-ups. A lot of people are doing pop-ups. They might do them at their house, at somebody else's house, you know, rent out a farm. I think it is actually very important for you to get into the, the rigor and the structure of an actual kitchen and trying to understand that medium. The other thing that I would do is, is challenge yourself to pay for the things that you're going to need to pay for. So you get in the habit of managing your cash flow, managing a budget and P&L. And so practice like you play is going to be very important. So sometimes when you see all these astronomical costs, it can be overwhelming and staggering. What cost does is it, it can build discipline if you are willing to respect it and engage with it. And unfortunately, sometimes not just focus on the food as a chef, which can be a huge struggle. But that's the first thing that I would do uh, is reach out to some restaurants and see if you might be able to utilize their space during uh during potential off times would would be the first thing that i would do uh and then yeah i would just hit the google uh, significantly as i know uh, colorado springs is kind of emerging there's gonna be more and more people getting into that space and as there's more operators in a ghost kitchen in a food a traditional food hall space then they're going to be clamoring a little bit more for the better owners and operators and finally the thing i'd say is story sells if your story is better than anybody else, they're going to look to have somebody who's media ready, who can be that media darling, where it's going to bring a significant amount of attention and awareness to their location, uh, to their concept. And I think that's something that could set you apart that again, you're not just making a, a burger, you're, you're telling a meaningful story of your culture and heritage through fucking delicious food. And that can set you apart. And then go to Kyle's scenario of ask for the moon. Because if you have a better story, you are significantly more valuable than maybe the lack of funds that you have to be able to do your concept. So uh, those are the things that, that I would say. Uh, anybody else, Kyle, anything else that you think might be a good way to kind of uh, get yourself started if you maybe aren't ready for, you know, the fifty seventy five thousand $75,000 entry fee? No, I like I like that idea of the restaurants that are closed on those days and, and hitting them up or, or maybe even, you know, off hours. But um, I've heard of also uh, just in terms of other possible venues, uh, country clubs and churches 
have also um, the capacity to uh, take on uh, tenants, and you know they don't use their kitchens often. But you surprised you'd be surprised some of the infrastructure that they have there uh, that you can take advantage of on um, you know times that are probably pretty valuable for most, not valuable for them. So they're they're willing to make deals. So I would check that out as well. Kyla's the deal maker. I love it. Churches, <laughs> any no, nobody's safe. Nobody's safe. Amen, brother. I, I appreciate that. All right, Troy, Troy, excuse me, Sabrat, I want to get uh, you guys in here. We are uh, 10 minutes after the hour, so I do want to be respectful of everyone's time and wrap up here pretty soon. So we'll hear from a couple more people, uh, and I'll let the, uh, the moderators, the panel, be able to tell us where they can be found and connected with, and uh, we will wrap up this room. And again, we will be talking straight up marketing in another one of these. we got to. It's, a, it's an imperative now. Uh, Troy, you want to jump in here? Well, hey, everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, fantastic room. Actually, best ghost kitchen virtual, even uh, restaurant business room I've probably been in uh, on Clubhouse. So just keep doing it. Keep getting this group together. You guys are killing it. Um, you know, one thing that's been uh, hitting me ever since this room started was, you know, the float of 8,500 to 75,000 to get started. I think to bring some context, I just wanted to bring a little value in that um, clarity of that number. You know, people ask, well, how the heck can it be such a big variable? You know, one of the big pieces of that is going to be um, things that most people aren't probably thinking about. This is not just an extension. If it's a brick and mortar extension, it's a separate business. It's a, it's a standalone business that's going to have insurances and payroll costs and accounting costs and legal costs, um, business licensing costs, things of that nature. And, uh, you know, you've got to have your insurance and your payroll uh, lined up and, and, you know, think about not only like Jensen talked about 5% marketing, if you're a digital virtual only venue, um, you've got to do a lot more to get that awareness. So, you know, planning out a marketing strategy um, that you, you have cash in bank for 30, 60, 90 days minimum. You know, I say the same thing when we do ours, it's all around uh, covering that labor. I don't ever want to have to struggle and worry about making payroll. So, you know, we want to bank 60 or 90 days of payroll and, and associated costs with that. So I just want to make that kind of clear because that's how that number can get up there pretty quick. You know, we actually set aside 130,000 for every um, new ghost kitchen location. Uh, but we're also, you know, looking at a couple pieces of special equipment and to, to, to back up James, um, you don't have to worry about soft selling James. Rationale is the best piece of equipment in the entire industry. And uh, if you have a restaurant or a bakery or any kind of commissary and you don't have a rationale, you are spending a lot of money on labor and uh, uh, loss and shrinkage that, that you uh, don't need to do. So I just wanted to prop up rationale and, and James, um, you guys, versatility and flexibility is, uh, is key in this new space. So thanks for the space. Thanks for the time. Great show. And uh, look forward to the next one. Troy, I appreciate you as always jumping in, contributing the conversation, and and uh, we will continue uh, to hold ourselves to your high standard on Clubhouse. And uh, I'm motivated to continue to have these meaningful, impactful conversations. So, and we and definitely didn't uh, plant Troy here to uh, to give you a pat on the back, Jim. But that's always nice when the hard work that you do uh, gets gets uh, noted, uh, especially when you're in the sales business and sometimes selling can be a dirty word. So appreciate that. Uh, uh, Suvrat and apologize, please pronounce your name. So make sure that I'm saying it correctly, please. Uh, if you got a question, comment, you basically got it. And uh, you can call me Suv if that's easier. 
first of all you guys uh, what a wonderful room and i'm so glad this showed up on my clubhouse recommendations today i uh, actually didn't know about any of you guys but i'm so happy to have found you guys and i followed a bunch of you so that i'm kind of updated in the future uh, jensen you mentioned that you guys are running late so i'm going to keep my questions short uh, this is the first of the se of this uh, series of rooms that I've kind of come up on. So if any of this has been answered before, just feel free to ignore it and just focus on whichever one, uh, you know, you do feel you can uh, answer best. So the first thing is uh, you guys talked about this $75,000 figure to start a cloud kitchen, right? And I run a chain of uh, a virtual kitchen and I run a chain of virtual kitchens in India. And the figures here are much lower, right? Obviously accounting for like the difference in currency and whatnot. But I was wondering um, how much you guys kind of allocate towards a digital marketing budget to get that kitchen up and running because cloud ki virtual kitchens don't have any uh, walk-in traffic as such, right? So how much do you think about like as an initial uh, marketing outlay to kind of get that kitchen up and running to the point that it kind of starts breaking even? Uh, Mike, I have three questions. I'll just kind of list all of them out really quick. The second is from, uh, I'm new to the industry. I don't have any F&B background, but one question I had is when I'm hiring chefs for my restaurants, for my uh, virtual kitchens, um, there's a lot of uh, hesitation towards uh, taking up the job offer because these are generally considered a little bit less prestigious versus working at a full, you know, like a proper restaurant, like a 5,700 uh, square foot restaurant with like a lot of dining and prime real estate. Uh, and so I'm wondering if you guys have any tips or tricks for uh, how to persuade people to work in a virtual kitchen when, uh, and I wonder if this is a cultural thing. I don't know if this is the same in America, but uh, that is one question. And the last question is, um, you know, about pricing your dishes. Um, I feel like when we go out to a restaurant, we're kind of going for the ambience, we're going to hang out with our friends, but when we're ordering from a ghost kitchen, we're really just ordering for food. And as a result, um, I don't know if people are willing to spend the same amount of money for the same dish. You know, like I may spend a little bit more for a hamburger if I'm also eating it at a restaurant with my friends versus just, uh, you know, uh, consuming it just for the calories at home. And so I was wondering if you guys have any thoughts on, like, do you charge different prices for the menus in your virtual kitchens versus your dine-in restaurants? Or uh, is there a rule of thumb uh, for how much cheaper it needs to be versus a sit-down location? Um, I think those are my three questions. Happy to get the answer to any of those. Thank you. Great question, Sue. Really, really appreciate that. And definitely want to follow up. I'm fascinated on, on some of the differences culturally, uh, cost-wise implementation when it comes to what's happening in India. Uh, absolutely fascinated, and especially with India being uh, somewhere where a lot of technology is emerging as well that I think can affect the restaurant industry. So let's, uh, let's definitely follow up for sure. Uh, so let's see. So marketing outlay, we have uh, hiring some of the chefs and then pricing of the menu. Uh, marketing, let's, let's, let's have Sean jump in. You know, I mentioned the 5%, I, I don't think that's enough in even a traditional restaurant. Uh, I think you need to be kind of in that growth stage where you're thinking about 15%. Uh, you're really putting a lot of time and effort into that. I do think it directly connects to your ability to charge a, a strong price in the market. So I think those are a little bit connected, but why don't you specifically address what maybe is a, is a good startup spot if you're starting your, your ghost kitchen concept to put in the bank to be able to uh, get off the ground from a marketing standpoint, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I look at marketing obviously a lot different. I wouldn't be a barbecue media company if I didn't 
um, you know, opening in 2008 and relying on a bunch of failed attempts at marketing, um, literally trying to do anything from radio to newspapers to yellow pages to understanding, oh my God, there's the internet and the internet's free and I can claim a Facebook page for free and I can claim a Yelp page for free and now I can do a video from my smartphone and post that as an Instagram reel and then repurpose that as a TikTok video. You know, I, Suv, I'm so happy you joined the room. It's one of the reasons that I love um, Clubhouse is that it's just such a powerful tool that we're all connected through our smartphone right now. I mean, we're here having conversations with people all over the world that are in the same space and sharing ideas. I mean, I, I met somebody on Clubhouse the other day that's, I'm gonna help him mentoring him and he's, he's in West Africa. He's doing an incredible thing with technology and bringing students in, but you know the fact that you're opening up ghost kitchens in India is really exciting for me. I mean, we had a someone in our restaurant marketing uh, room the other day. I think Troy was in there, and they was they were using robots in Nepal. So for you to join the conversation, ask intelligent questions, I know we Sean, can't. Sean, I actually uh, grew up in Nepal, and my restaurant, my uh, chain of uh, virtual kitchens is authentic Nepali food in India. So that's very exciting for you to say. That's amazing. Well, I mean, there, there you go. There, there, there's the power of Clubhouse making the, the hair stand on my, on, on my arms. Um, but to your question of how to recruit, I think the competitive advantage, which I will always say is going to be the friendly ghost kitchen. And by friendly, I mean that's social, that's storytelling. You don't need to talk to anyone but Jensen that'll tell you we're in the relationship business, we're not in the food business, we're in the story business. And you can tell stories from your phone. That's the way that you're gonna recruit the next level, the next generation of chef that understands that they don't discriminate how people enjoy their food. It's about distribution. So how do you get more food to different people in India? This chef is going to have a, a, an opportunity to make an impact way bigger than he would in a single unit restaurant or some hotel restaurant. So find the people and, and the way that you're going to find the people is, is difficult because it's going to be you. It's going to be you or someone in your organization, but more importantly, you're the one on Clubhouse, so it's going to be you that are going to have to start using the tools to recruit by saying, this is who I am, this is what I'm trying to do, and I'm looking for you. By, by asking those questions, by putting that content out there, you're going to attract like-minded people, and then you're going to dominate because no one else is going to be willing to do it. I'm Sean, and I'm done. Sean, I love it. Uh, very specifically, Suv, uh, if you're at the fifty to seventy-five thousand dollar range of key money to be able to start your concept, I want you to put ten thousand dollars towards marketing. I want you to put so much money towards marketing that it hurts. That you say, I can't, I can't actually rationalize the amount of money I'm about to spend on marketing. I want you to spend that amount of money because it's going to do a couple things, and and you might not have this this predicament not having the FMB background. We just don't spend money on marketing because we focus so much on the food, so much on the, the service, the beverage, that we forget about the marketing and you have to spend money on marketing. It's going to create, just like I mentioned with Katie, it's gonna create some habits. It's gonna put you in a position to understand how to manage that money, how to manage an account, how to manage creative, how to manage external agency if you need that, how to manage your smartphone, how to make sure that you plug in your phone so that you don't your battery doesn't die in the middle of recording a TikTok video. This is an important uh, ability that you're going to need that I wanna make sure that, that you become very good at. Uh, uh, number two question, and Kyle, I wanna to come to you to maybe wrap us up here and uh, we'll go very quickly so we can uh, uh, all get on with the rest of our days. So, uh, recruiting what you have to do is you have to make the ghost kitchen cool as hell and that is a challenge 
you need to have chefs say, this is the new James Beard. This is the new Michelin. And, and that's a huge shift. So you need to really focus on a couple things. Innovation, innovation, innovation. Those couple things, three things, same thing. Innovation, the ability for you to be able to test those new concepts, to play with new ingredients, to bring in local farmers, to tell that meaningful story, to be able to do that through the food, to allow your culinary team to be able to be a part of that innovative process, make them feel like they are actually in the test kitchen at Il Bulli or at Alinea or at the French Laundry. You have the opportunity to create that level of depth that you're looking at six different grinds for your burger from Black Angus to Red Angus to Scottish Highlands and make that the coolest shit that's happening in food. That's the opportunity that you have to be able to create that prestige and that'll transcend any culture Absolutely. So I think that's super important. And uh, I want to come to Kyle, but I'll say one thing on price as far as price goes. We need to shift this mindset as well. I no longer, this is how we are trained, no longer cost my items and then have a multiplier for margin, say three and a half times to come up with my price. I'm focused on, I talked to Andre, uh, mentioned with Andre, the customer archetype. I want to know what the market value is. If the market value for that burger is $16, Yet my multiplier says you should charge 14. You're losing $2 in every transaction because you did the math wrong. And if the market value is 16 and you're charging 18, well, then you're fighting against your own ability to tell that story, to be able to sell through the value of that. So that's something that I want to want you to think about. Kyle, what else as far as understanding how to price appropriately? Are you thinking about pricing differently to be able to incur the cost of, of third-party apps, anything else, uh, take us out here. What else does Sue need to be thinking about from a pricing standpoint? You know, I think one thing that I learned, you know, kind of going through the, this process of, you know, for all intents and purposes, my restaurant was a ghost kitchen during the pandemic. And it was, um, you know, people missed that connection to your brand, right? And I think that's one of the challenges ghost kitchens you have to face that, and Sean touched on this earlier, is you know making your brand sexy and appealing without stepping into a four wall space. So I think spending money on packaging and somehow providing an experience through that delivery um, is what it's going to all what it's going to be about. You know, I mean, I think don't go cheap on the packaging. Make it um, you know make have it make sense. Have it be as sexy and, and on brand as you can make it without it being uh, you know a killer cost wise. And I think that's what that's what people are going to connect with. They're going to connect with the brand, whether you're a space, you know, 5,000 square foot space like Sean's, you can walk in and experience the whole vibe and the energy. Or if you can just deliver something really cool uh, to their place, so if it's packaged right, if it's labeled very cool and it has you know, some humor to it or whatever the case is, brand it like you would brand it uh, if it was, you know, something in your store. Make, have it make something that people can connect to. And I think that's that's going to be the long tail of this is, is building a brand through um, social through your your deliver their delivered food products and through your story and I think that's going to make a lot of sense for, for you as you get up and running. Sue, great questions. You got us fired up. I would also add to the pricing is you need to be thinking about that check average and your ability to drive that up. You don't have the upsell when they're in the room like you do in a restaurant, but you do have the opportunity is to get into CPG. I'm hot. On, I'm bullish on that. Everybody needs to be in CPG. Consumer packaged goods. Your salsa. Your 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 sauces, your your 
hot sauce they all need to be something that people can purchase through this this channel or any other channel so that your brand stays top of mind you have uh, diversified revenue streams i think i mentioned the qr code if you didn't hear that listen to the podcast it'll be up on thursday at noon eastern time united states time and uh, if you didn't hear my little rant about the qr code definitely listen back for that because i think it's fundamentally important and you need to be selling cooking classes and all of that through your portals so that's how you drive that price point up because you're bringing immense value you're not transactional in selling calories to your point so appreciate the question and uh, we're going to wrap with that uh, real quickly around the room I want everybody just where can people connect with you because i know there's lots more questions there's lots of people that are going to need that mentorship that support that uh, that equipment that financial backing that pat on the back, whatever it is. So, uh, Sean, where can people best find you? Uh, at Sean P. Walchef, S-H-A-W-N-P-W-A-L-C-H-E-F. That's LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, Clubhouse, Twitter, all the fun social profiles, or you can just email me, Sean, at CaliBBQ.media. If you want to see what we do with our media website, e-commerce website, go to CaliBBQ.media. Um, you'll see, yes, you can find podcast content. Yes, you can find blog content. But more importantly, what does the customer want? They want to buy barbecue. So we make it as easy as possible for people to buy barbecue. So yeah, reach out anytime. I'm so happy that you guys came into the room. I love Clubhouse. Uh, Jensen does a phenomenal job. Please follow him. Please follow all the speakers up here. Andrew, thank you for the value. Um, James, great to meet you. And uh, what a great room. Thanks. Thank you for uh, for initially bringing us together and, and always being willing to make. Uh, Andrew, best place to connect with you to get some of that how support uh, like I reap the benefits of so often. Uh, best place to connect with you. Yep. Uh, two easiest uh, ways to connect are Andrew at bestservedcreative.com. Shoot me an email. And Andrew Parr, P-A-R-R-A-O on Instagram. Yes. Flood his uh, his email inbox and see if we can't uh, do some cool shit together. I'll I'll why the hell out of it and Andrew will how the hell out of it and hopefully create something beautiful. That's what we do. Uh, James, how can uh, people connect with you? Probably the easiest way be email. That would be uh, j dot baxter at rationale hyphen online dot com. And if you're interested in more uh, about us, uh, the best place to go is to rationale hyphen online dot com for. Uh, information about what we do that's it get vertical people all right kyle how can people get connected with you i'm going to say again go to kyle and sarah i-n-s-r-r-a <laughs> on tiktok and just vibe for a while i think it's i think it's good every day i get a little bit of uh, kyle time with i don't know some <laughs> pop song or or some voiceover shit that just makes me laugh and, and feel good about uh, being a part of this wild industry so best place besides tiktok to connect with you <laughs> Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I think you inspired me to, to bust out a few right now. Um, yeah, it's at Kyle and Sarah, K-Y-L-E-I-N-S-E-R-R-A, uh, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, um, TikTok, and um, the National Restaurant Owners Podcast, obviously, um, anywhere you can find podcasts, and uh, maybe hitting some of you guys up uh, here today to uh, dive a little bit deeper on this. So I, I appreciate uh, appreciate you taking control of this, Jensen, as always, man. Appreciate it. 
an honor to be of service to such leaders and communicators in our industry. For me, so many places at Best Served Podcast on all the platforms, absolutely. Uh, doing some amazing stuff right now around Pride Month. Very proud of that. Last month, we were focused on mental health. Tons of content out there in the uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok world. Uh, my, my real passion right now is bestsofpodcast.com takes you directly to our blog platform where we publish articles by people at every level and every facet of this industry because you truly matter and it is time to bring more voices into the culinary narrative. I believe in it to the core. It's the mission that we have. We exist to amplify the worth and work of people who feed their community, that's all of you. And uh, the opportunity for you to publish an article about anything and speak your truth is something that we are committed to. I'd love the opportunity to hear your story and to share that story. That's the number one place that I'm focused on getting uh, connected with people. So please reach out through any of those platforms. And if you go out there and make a, a TikTok video uh, today, tag any and all of us that are up here on stage, I would love to comment, love to give you a thumbs up love to share that because uh, we can only do this we are best served together and we're in this together so that is it we're going to wrap this room thanks everybody for uh for your time for your commitments and uh for being part of clubhouse if you're listening on the podcast again get your ass over to clubhouse and become a part of these conversations live that's it let's wrap this room appreciate you all cheers thanks for listening to the best served podcast subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.